The older you get, the more you realize how unimportant depth of field, audio gain, color grading, you, you realize how, how little importance those things really have on life. Hi, ho, you boys and girls out there in podcast land. Welcome to Radio Film School, a radio documentary anthology series about filmmaking, cinema, and the pursuit of passion. Every week, we bring you personal, passionate, and sometimes provocative stories from filmmakers and artists all over the globe. Stories that help you mature as an artist and find more fulfillment in your craft and career. Today, we officially kick off season two of the podcast, and boy, do we have a show for you. Everything that makes a Radio Film School episode special. Funny anecdotes, silly stories, sound design, a great soundtrack, pop culture movie references, engaging, enlightening, and insightful interviews with amazing and eloquent filmmakers and artists, not to mention my all-too-frequent doses of alliteration, and wrapping it all up in a nice and tidy bow around an existential lesson about what it truly means to be a filmmaker and an artist. If you need to kick in the proverbial butt, a shot of inspirational adrenaline, or a break from the usual filmmaking and video podcast discussions about f-stops and vfx then you've come to the right place i can't promise you'll learn how to become the next spielberg or fincher nor will you learn how to earn a six-figure income from listening to this show in fact quite frankly you may even end up earning less money if you keep listening especially after today's episode but i do promise you this that if you stick with us through this season wherever you wind up on the other side you will be more fulfilled if you like what you hear today, please consider leaving us a rating and review in iTunes, even if you don't listen to us on iTunes. That really helps the show get found by other people. Go to daredreamer.fm slash iTunes if you don't really know how to figure that all out. I kind of break it down for you. Links to all of today's guests can be found on the blog post for this episode at daredreamer.fm. So without further ado, settle in, sit back, or if you're at the gym, just, I don't know, keep exercising. And prepare to be inspired do you remember your first movie memory or better yet your first profound movie going experience you know maybe not necessarily the first time you went to the movies for the first time a movie had a profound impact on you. The first movie that I remember seeing as a child is Jaws. I was two. My aunt took me to this movie called Grizzly. It was like one of those movies where, you know, the animal's coming after you. Like everybody's gotta run from this animal. The animal's gonna kill everybody. <laughs> so that was a clip for the first episode of our Breaking the Glass film series a personal, no-holds-barred living room discussion with six women from various aspects of the film and television industry, discussing stories about gender, race, and what it takes to succeed in this business. We also interviewed them individually to get their personal experiences and stories. And this question I just posed to you, we also asked of them. In this clip, television producer and writer Talisha Rags shares the story of her dad taking her to see Jaws when she was just two years old. And every time the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. The music would come on that telegraphed the shark. My dad would put his hands over my eyes, and I'd be like, Daddy, stop! Daddy, stop! I can't 
can't see. And our good friend and show regular Yolanda T. Cochran, a feature film producer, talks about her aunt taking her to see an equally inappropriate movie for an eight-year-old girl to see. And she was scared out of her wits, and so was I, and I don't know why we were at that movie. I remember when my mom, who was single at the time, took me to see Jaws. I wasn't as young as two, but I was young, maybe around eight or so. I remember her taking us to the drive-in to see Superfly and covering my eyes during some part that to this day I'm still not quite sure what it was. I also remember her taking us to see Earthquake. My brother and I had to leave the theater we got so scared. I could have sworn we were going through a real earthquake. But nothing was quite as impactful on me as the time she took us to see the Amityville Horror. I can't even watch that movie now, some 40 plus odd years later. I remember after the movie, I literally would not leave her side for two straight days. What the hell was my mother thinking? Superfly? Jaws? I mean, the Amityville Horror? And hello, do the people selling these tickets just look the other way? Rated R does mean no one under 17 allowed, even back in the 70s. Then I heard Talisha and Yolanda share these thoughts. And I met Steven Spielberg one time, and I told him about that experience, and he got a real kick out of it. And he was like, why did your parents take you to see Jaws at 2? It's like, well, you know, they're black people. You know, they take kids to the movies back then in the theater. Everybody had kids in the theater with you, you know, you don't have a babysitter, you're gonna sit there and you're gonna watch the movie. There seems to be this running thing, theme of <laughs> all these black parents taking these small children to movies they shouldn't have been in. Okay, it was all making sense now. Despite the aforementioned psychologically harrowing experiences, I actually do remember my first movie memory, and I'm happy to report it was definitely more of a positive experience. It's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, even though the sound of it is something quite atrocious. If you say it loud enough, you'll always sound precocious. Now, for the record, it was a re-release of the movie or some kind of special screening. Even I am not old enough to have seen it when it first premiered in 1964. But the scene that really did it for me, the one that is forever burned in my memory, is Mary Poppins flying off into the distance to the tune of... Let's sing it all together now. Let's go fly a kite up to the highest height. Let's go fly a kite. And send it soaring. You know you're going to be singing that in your head all day long now, don't you? My little sensitive soul was an emotional wreck as the song swelled and Mary flew off into the distance, never to be seen again. Well, at least until 2018 when Emily Blunt plays her and returned Mary Poppins. I'll be the first in line to see that when it comes out for sure. What is it about movies that affects us so? We all have these experiences of sitting in a darkened theater, the sounds of a make-believe world surrounding us in Dolby or THX. Unless you're as old as I am and Dolby and THX didn't exist when you first went to the movies, but 
You could see the projector light streaking through the air above you, cutting through the darkness and spreading out onto the screen in a multitude of colors like a miniature Bifrost, that famed rainbow bridge of Norse mythology. And at the end of that bridge was fantasy, adventure, and wonder. I was 14 years old, and I had gone on a road trip with some friends of our family, and uh, I had the opportunity to go to a movie. And I rode my skateboard over to the movie theater, and I paid my money, and I walked in, and I watched um, this little sci-fi movie that nobody was really... It, it wasn't huge yet, but it was this thing called Star Wars. And in that movie, there is the scene where um, Luke Skywalker gets in a fight around the dinner table with his uncle and his aunt, and he, he's you know lamenting that there must be something more to life than just sitting in, you know, on this crappy little farm on Tatooine. And he leaves the family home, and he walks out to the sand berm, and he, he's standing there, and he's watching the sunset. There's the over-the-shoulder shot of the two sons, cuts to a close-up of Luke, and the John Williams music swells. And at 14 years old, the hair on the back of my neck stood up. Mm. And I remember thinking, I want to do that. I want to make people feel the way I feel right now. And I didn't even know what that was. I didn't know that meant being an editor, like slipping the music to just the right moment and picking the order of the shots. Just, is it better to see the suns first or see the sun or see the close up and the emotion second? You know, which is bad. But I wanted to do that. I'm Ron Dawson, and this is Radio Film School, a filmmaker's journey. The last person you heard was my buddy Chris Finwick, a 30-plus year commercial editor and producer. He's also a fellow podcaster, having been a host or co-host of three media-related podcasts. The Digital Convergence Podcast with Carl Olson, which if you're not listening to, you need to add it now to your podcast repertoire. The now-defunct Digital Cinema Cafe with Alex McLean. And Chris's solo show, FCPX Grill, which for reasons you'll learn later, he put on hold over a year ago. As you might have guessed, Chris's answer to this question is by far the most popular. Star Wars. The movie that helped launch the blockbuster and was the impetus for so many would-be filmmakers. I had said what I wanted to be when I grew up is a director, a movie director. That's Jeff Kanata, co-host of the Slash Filmcast. If you recall from the season one premiere of the show, Jeff shared this. I had asked my parents, who's responsible for Star Wars? And they said, George Lucas. And I said... What does George Lucas do? And they said, he's the director. And I said, that's what I want to do. I've always been fascinated by the answers people give to this particular question. But even more so, I love to hear how other filmmakers specifically answer it. I want to see if there is some hint or clue as to what led them on their current creative path. Over the 18 months that I've interviewed over 100 people for this podcast, I get some very popular answers. Star Wars and E.T. are easily at the top. 
Now, I really feel old when my guests tell me seeing Jurassic Park as a kid inspired them or watching Lord of the Rings in high school. Ugh, sorry, I just celebrated my f birthday, so age has kind of been on my mind lately. Anyway, when the women from the Breaking the Glass series shared with me how it was they became enamored with movies, a few of them said that they were surprised when they first learned that making movies was a real job. In fact, that was a relatively common theme I heard all throughout season one, that it was a fascinating discovery to learn that making movies as a job was even a thing, that you could actually earn a living at it. One such filmmaker I recently interviewed had a similar revelation. I never once thought that making movies was a job. That's Cosmos Kandarius, award-winning filmmaker and director who, as a PA on Zodiac, was told by David Fincher himself that he would be good at this. Not bad praise. I had a great little conversation with Cosmos about filmmaking and pursuing passion. Their pursuit of passion is our theme for season two of the show. So I asked Cosmos if he felt he was pursuing his passion, in addition to sharing his thoughts on how he got interested in filmmaking, he also shared some pretty provocative yet compelling insight about filmmakers today. I just never thought that that was work that people did. I thought it was like something you were born into, or I don't really know, I never gave it any thought. Um, and so when someone said, hey, you know, you you might be able to write for this, you, you might be able to make a life of this, that was really interesting. It seems to be a common thread or theme I'm hearing from a number of people I've interviewed. From other people you've talked to in the industry, is that something that was as was common no actually most people i talk to tell the story of having had a camera in their hand since they were eight years old and running around making their siblings or friends act in all of their little short thing right right that's common too <clears throat> so i mean if you know if if it is i think i think less people are willing to um admit it i feel like some people have this sense that if this isn't something that you were innately born with, or if you weren't born wanting this, that maybe people won't think that you're hungry enough or you haven't been passionate about it enough for long enough. And, you know, for me, I actually think the opposite. I think that one of the reasons that films are suffering right now is because a lot of the people making films, all they know and all they care about is film. And they don't know anything about the world. And so I keep seeing these movies, which are made about really important subjects that the filmmakers making it, in my opinion, don't know anything about. You know, they haven't experienced what they're making a film about. They've just seen movies about what they're making a movie about. And so they end up, you know, making a copy of a copy of a copy kind of a thing. And, mm -hmm. and the final product is this diluted idea of, well, I think that this is how people should handle this situation or how people would experience being in this moment. Um, and we see that in a lot of, you know, young directors, not even first time directors, but just people who were born into the industry, who um, were always around it because their parents were in it. And then they went to film school and they got a job right out of film school and they really haven't done anything else. They haven't, you know, lived any other part of life. And so, they're not able to bring much life to what they're making and, and certainly not life experience to what they're making. People think, well, I'm, I'm making something that's never been seen before. I'm making science fiction or I'm making horror and, and I couldn't really talk to anybody like that. And I think that they're mistaken. You could, you can talk to people who have lost someone, uh, in a murder, you know, someone whose family member was murdered or whose spouse was murdered and talk to them about their, what they're feeling because, Hopefully that's what you're going for in, in making a film or 
you're, you're going for that feeling, that emotional response that, that you're leaving people with. And so you figure out, well, why, how does this affect those people and how can I then affect my audience in that same way? You know, what do I need to create for my audience that will help them connect to these characters or collect, connect to my story or connect to what I'm making? And I think that that kind of research doesn't really get done um, by most filmmakers anymore, which is, like I said, unfortunate. I'm lucky enough that I won't do anything that I'm not passionate about. And so if I'm doing something and I'm not loving it and I'm not passionate about it, I'm, I'm more than willing to walk away. I don't worry about the security of, of well, what will I do tomorrow? Um, I know that it doesn't matter what I'll do tomorrow because I'll be happier doing it than whatever I'm miserable doing today. Right. So for me, I kind of only chase passion. So I'm, I'm lucky from that perspective. Directly related to film, I believe the purpose of film is to entertain. I think that, that people go to the theaters to be entertained. Primarily, that's why they're going. And I've always told people, you know, the people I give advice to or that I help with writing, like, if you have a really important point to make, you should write a book. Because that's not why people go to movies. People don't go to movies to have a finger wagged at them. And they quite often are upset when they leave a theater, feeling like that's what just happened. Whereas what I make a very concerted effort to do is bring up information uh, about a situation. Like, for instance, the film Stand is about landmines. You know, I bring up all these very relevant real points about landmines and unexploded ordnance and the effect that they have on families and the effect that they have on people. At no point do I blame anybody for it. And so people that have given me feedback leave the theater as opposed to saying, oh, well, you really taught me something. They were like, I'm really excited to find out more about this. And I've gotten emails from them, you know, weeks and sometimes months after the screening of, oh, I Googled this and I looked this up and I went and found out about this. And, and so I feel like for me, the way to make things that quote unquote matter is to present information and give people an opportunity to fall in love with characters who are dealing with something. And if I've done my job and audiences love those characters enough and are affected by the, the journey of those characters enough, they will then on their own, of their own volition, they'll go look more into it. And then they'll find out and it's, you know, it's this, uh, it's this inception type thing where they think the idea to get involved came from themselves and so they're actually interested in it. I mean, yes, passion is important because we are talking about creativity and art and all of that. However, I feel like all of it has to be rooted in reality. It has to be rooted in in something ethereal and, and, and rather visceral and real because if it's just ethereal then you know you're you're a kite without a string and you're just going to get kind of blown around and your story is going to get blown around and your characters are going to get blown around and your artwork is, is going to just kind of waft around and maybe someone will catch it but probably not. I bet many of you proceeded down the pathway of filmmaking because you felt there was some good you wanted to do in this world. 
There were stories he felt needed to be told, issues that needed the light of cinema shine upon them. In addition to the passion you have for the craft, you may have felt a higher purpose. She looked at me and she was like, I know exactly who you are. And I just want you to know that that moment made me have the courage to leave my abusive boyfriend. That's Jenna Edwards. Jenna is a media and film producer who uses her knowledge and experience to train filmmakers on things like distribution, producing, and empowering creatives to tell their stories. In my conversation with Jenna, she told me the story of how a small bit part she had on Buffy the Vampire Slayer empowered a woman who saw that episode to leave an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. Was it that she recognized you from the episode? Yeah. Ah, and then... Yeah. Um, and the, the seven seconds in the show is me blocking a punch... Because someone's about to abuse me. Oh, and wow. so I inherited Buffy's powers and I was like, F you, dude, that's going to abuse me. And all I did was rise into frame. But the, the symbolic, like subconscious image for people was she's not taking that anymore. In that moment, I realized how powerful seven seconds of cinema can be. And... It just, it, and that, by the way, that story is not the last story I've heard like that. I've, I've had that, a similar story of empowerment told to me because of this seven second rule that I had so many times, I cannot even tell you. And so cut to now, I'm on this mission to just encourage filmmakers to do their thing and get their messages out there. And, you know, you never know what, what you're doing is going to impact somebody else. And you have the opportunity to change someone's life. Oftentimes as, as artists and filmmakers and people who want to make a positive impact in the world, which I truly believe if you're an artist, that's at the core of what you do, you're going to have to use things that you might not want to use, right? So for your project, it's going to be all of the racial tension. And this is the key. The way that you do it is by focusing on the change that you can make with your media. Like, what is the impact that you're going to create if you get somebody to watch this? And I think that that's true with all, almost all filmmakers and their marketing. They think, oh, it's so icky. It's like selling and I don't want to. And, you know, it stops us from putting our art out into the world. But I... Tell you what, if J.J. Abrams hadn't made his popcorn show and promoted it and I hadn't watched it, I probably wouldn't exist anymore. And if Joss Whedon hadn't decided to put an empowering moment in his fun little campy show about vampire slaying, that woman might still be with her abusive boyfriend and she might not exist anymore. So as filmmakers, yes, we have this absolute, like responsibility to get our work out in the world but the thing that you need to latch on to is getting it out in the world it's not just you can't just stop once you've created it you've got to figure out how to get people to see it and if you're making projects that are really important to you like it's not about you anymore it's so much bigger than you and your project specifically I'm sorry to like keep honing in on it it's so much bigger than you It's important for us to share our gifts because they really are gifts and a lot of people don't don't see it that way because they've been suppressed by their surroundings. 
but you know I've only heard musicians and singers talk about their gifts in that way if I'm being completely honest where we as filmmakers or producers like I would never consider my love of budgeting a gift but it is <laughs> right, right right it's like oh no that is a crucial element to getting a film produced so yeah no that's a gift I'm gonna take it and be grateful you know but I think we all just need to really stop letting people who don't understand us define us I go to Costco about three times a week. I'm not buying shopping carts full of groceries each time I go. It's usually like a few things here, a few things there. For health reasons, my wife is on this very strict Ayurvedic diet. Ayurveda is an Indian philosophy on health and medicine. That's Indian as in from India, not Native American. Anyway, Costco is the closest place to get some of the organic veggies that she uses. And unlike most other Costco items, these veggies actually come in like, you know, standard sizes. So every few days we run out and I go there to get more. Now every single time I leave the store I see this air conditioning salesperson by the exit. I'm sure if you have a Costco by your house you've seen them too. She's perched there near the exit so you have to pass her every time you leave. Did I mention she's there every single time? I go Saturday afternoon, she's there. If I go on a weekday after my son's school, she's there. I go Sunday after church and after taking my son to the Lego store so he can get the latest burst of inspiration, and boom, she's there. And no one is ever talking to this woman. I'm like, why are they putting her through this? We freaking live in Seattle, close to the sound. No one needs air conditioning. I mean, it's not quite as extreme as selling ice to an Eskimo, but it's kind of like in the same ballpark. There are maybe a handful of days during the summer when an AC might be needed, maybe. And, and I wanna look at her so bad, not because I need AC, but because, I don't know, I feel bad. I wanna acknowledge her existence in some way and say, hi, I acknowledge you. Then you know if I do that, she's gonna say, hi, how are you? And then I'm gonna to have to say, fine. Then she's gonna say, can I talk to you for a minute? And I'm gonna to have to spurn her and turn her down like Doug Simpson did to Marsha Brady, and make up something stupid like, I'm sorry, but something suddenly came up. Then dash out of there. Then every single time I go back, we're gonna have this weird, awkward thing between us. And like, who needs that? Now, I admit, I'm probably overanalyzing it, I know. But I do have to give her this. I admire her tenacity, right? I mean, how committed do you have to be to stand at the exit of Costco in the Seattle metro area, selling central air conditioning units, looking at hundreds, if not thousands of people every week who keep their gaze focused straight ahead just to avoid the inevitable awkward conversation. In fact, just last night on the eve of our season two premiere, I was at Costco again. And as I was rolling up to the entrance and getting out my Costco card, I thought to myself, I wonder if she's there. Because if she's not, it's going to feel kind of weird telling the story about how she's always there and have her not be there. But lo and behold, you guessed it, she was there. Hey, can I interview you? Interview me for what? And yes, I interviewed her for the podcast. Her name is Dasha. So I have a podcast that I do called Radio Film School. Uh-huh. And it's for filmmakers about filmmaking and creative arts. And tomorrow's our season two premiere. Oh, yeah. And I'm coming out every time I come here. <laughs> I see you here. Yep. 
every like morning, noon, and night. It's like she's always here, yeah. and she's selling ACs in Seattle. And yeah. as women to know, like I do really well. Do you really? Yeah. Do you? Yeah, look. I got all these. I got air conditioners set up. Um, we do generators, heat pumps, furnaces, all that. So all year round, I'm busy. Now, do so. you? Is this? Do you work for Costco or for the AC I work company? For, I work for uh, GNS Heating and Air GNS. Conditioning. We have a partnership. But I'm here. I'm only here four days. You're no, only I here work, four days. It seems I like work, you're here every day. I know. I work <laughs> three tens and then an eight on Saturday, okay. on Sunday. So I get like 38 and a half hours. So I get three days off a week. And, and so how does it feel like when you're here every day? Are you, you enjoying it? It's fun. Cause yeah. I'm, I know a lot of people here. I grew up in Linwood. Oh, old, did you? Okay. This is my old high school. Oh, cool. So, cool. yeah, it's fun. All I, gotta do is, all I do is just talk to everybody and, and it works. Yeah. So, yeah. What's uh, what do you find? And I'm recording, by the way. Oh yeah. So, yeah. yeah. What, what do you find is the best customer? The best one that buys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's good. This is perhaps the only filmmaking podcast where an interview with an air conditioning salesperson at Costco has some thematic importance. You see. Dasha embodies yet another aspect of being a filmmaker that is absolutely required if you're going to be in this business for the long haul. Perseverance. To be honest, I think it would have to do with fear. The fear of not being good at it. That's Raina Campbell, host of Dreams and Drive, a podcast where Raina interviews successful creative entrepreneurs, most of whom just happen to be people of color. After only eight months, her show was featured by iTunes in the header slider on the podcast homepage of the app. Since then, everything has changed for a show. Being the opportunistic person that I am, when I saw this podcast about African-American entrepreneurs, I thought, hey, I'm an African-American entrepreneur. Let me reach out to her. So I did, and we had a quid pro quo dual interview session. I was honored to be on episode 38 of her show, the link to which is on the blog post of this episode. When we turned the proverbial tables around and I put the mic spotlight on her from my show, we got to talking about her secret desire to be a filmmaker and the short film documentary she made while a student at Princeton, and what kept her from pursuing filmmaking. I have no doubt many of you will relate to her answer. One of the things that have held me back a lot is doing things that have been easy for me. So even in my whole, why did I pursue the documentary filmmaking classes? Because I always wanted to take a film class while at Princeton, but I didn't do it because I always heard they were so intense and so labor intensive. And I was just trying to get through school, right? I didn't want to have a course that would require so many hours of studio time or whatever. So I think that's just been a common theme through my life is avoiding things because of fear of not being successful. So that's that's probably the honest truth why I'd probably avoid it is because I wouldn't want to fail at it. Mm-hmm. When you say fail, what does failure look like to you? Nobody would watch it. People would say, what is this trash that she's producing? Or, mm-hmm. you know, it becoming so intense that I wouldn't be able to handle everything. So let's say I had some kind of film production business and it just being a big flop. Although, you know, you learn a lot from from things that do not always go well. I think I just kind of avoided the harder route with things a lot of times in my life. So that that's what I mean by failure. Is it just not in not taking off the way that I wanted to take off or it not really coming to anything and I'd have to give up on the when the uh, dream so very interesting so when you were interviewing me earlier for your podcast and we were talking about dreams and drive 
you specifically pointed out that when you first started, like you didn't have a lot of downloads and have a lot of listeners. And you even said something to the effect of uh, you were podcasting to, you didn't say empty room, but it was something along the lines <laughs> of like people not listening. So at the beginning of your podcast, you had a self-revelation or some type of self-acknowledgement that there aren't a lot of people listening to my podcast, yet you kept making it. Why? The whole idea for Dreams and Drive started in 2015, and I told myself I was going to launch it on January 1st, and I was going to do it for a year straight because my big problem is I quit things early on if I don't see results. And this podcast has been a testament to me forcing myself to just keep going. So I, I think I dared myself <laughs> and the dare paid off. But mm-hmm. it's funny that we are connecting these these two things now because the same reason why I wouldn't want to start the filmmaking biz, the filmmaking, you know, venture was one of the fears going into podcasting. So it's like, hey, like you're kind of, you know, you're kind of a preaching to the choir here you're not really you're not really uh taking your own (laughs) advice but that's just that's just me and it's it's good to see that like now as we're working through this is like i have to like just tell myself just do it Mm -hmm. um and i think what also happened is i with with the dreams and drive podcast is i put it out to the world Mm -hmm. that i was gonna do it for Mm -hmm. a year and that I was going to be studying every week. I would release a release an episode. Right. So then it also put pressure on me. Like you already told people you're doing it. Like, do you want to be seen as somebody who's not living up to her word? Right. Um, and that's something else that I pride myself on. So I think once I tied it to my values and put some external, like released it externally, that's when I I just go with it. Even though she's still less than a year into her podcast, the sentiments she shared as to why she kept doing it, even though no one or hardly anyone was listening, was perseverance. Perhaps more than any other quality of a filmmaker, photographer, musician, or any other artist, perseverance, by definition, is what you have to employ to go the distance. I love the way that Courtney Daniels put it. Courtney is an actress, feature film producer, and founder of Busted Buggy Entertainment a production company that focuses on female-driven projects, like their most recent film, The Girl in the Book, a provocative drama starring Michael Nyquist and Emily Van Kapp. I asked Courtney if she felt like she was currently doing her passion. Yes and and no. Uh, Hmm. Yes, because I love being part of the entertainment industry and that is my passion. No, because I wish I had more opportunities as an actor and some of these fantastic scripts that never come across my desk because they they're, they quickly went right into Sony or Universal or, and then they, they make it with some extremely famous, very talented actor or actress then. But I think that you have to believe in yourself and commit to your dreams. And you have to remember, you live once. And I don't wanna be sitting on my rocking chair thinking, gosh, I wish I had. And this is my dream. This is my passion. And and I'm sticking with it. And I believe in it. I'm working hard towards it. And I'm partnering people who have the same dreams and same goals. And I believe we all can get there. It's not a me or or you. It's us. And, and that is my dream. Do you ever feel like giving up or saying, like, what's the point? Like, I'm not getting the roles that I want. And you 
decide do you ever feel like you want to do something else like you that you get discouraged from going after that dream yes i think anybody does i think mm -hmm. we're human um i definitely have doubts and um like i said before i spend a lot of time in my closet sometimes sometimes i'm reading sometimes i'm not um and i you know so i do i go into my my closet and i shut the door and i have my mo my little pity party for a minute and then you know i put my big girl panties on and I face the world again. And, you know, I've, I've got a wonderful support system, which I think is tremendously important to anybody, no matter what you're doing. And I, I do, I go out and while I have to make compromises in the world too, of what accomplishing now and accomplishing for the future, having that long-term goal and the, the easy fruit, if you may. When we come back after the break, we're going to address one last quality that every filmmaker and artist should have. One that has perhaps the most profound impact than anything else. Stay tuned. Please listen carefully. When I started in this business, I, like many others who get their start shooting video, started with weddings and events. And I had a three to six month turnaround time. Now that wasn't all that uncommon for the kind of cinematic opus that I would create for my clients. Unfortunately, sometimes people didn't always read the contract. I once had this client for whom I did some kind of personal event. I think it was like a biography video or a retirement party or something like that. Well, two weeks after the event, the guy was emailing me asking me for the video. I'm like, dude, did you not read the contract? Of course, by that time, it didn't matter. He hadn't seen the paragraph when he signed it, and so regardless, his expectations were not met, and he was terribly vexed. It vexes me. I'm terribly vexed. So, I made it a point after the ordeal that a client would never have the excuse again to say that they didn't read something. I went into my contract and added initial boxes by all the key paragraphs like turnaround time, payment schedule, and the scope of the project. In fact, much of what is currently in my contract was born out of mistakes I made or lessons I learned. I'm sure many of you can relate, right? Like how many of you were stuck during umpteen million edits to a video all because you didn't establish upfront how many changes a client could get? Your contract needs to cover all that stuff. If you want to ensure you have all your bases covered, feel free to use the contract template that I use. Based on over 14 years in the business, plus all of my experiences as a business development manager in my previous job, I actually have three contract templates. One for commercial work, one for weddings and events, and one for when you hire an independent contractor. During this week only, when you sign up for our email list, the link to get the contract templates are in our weekly freebies folder. If you're already a subscriber, just access the freebie link for many of the previous emails we've sent out. Now, if you're listening to this episode past the deadline to download the free contract templates, you can still get access to them, plus all kinds of other resources to help you grow in your craft and career by becoming a Daredreamer FM premium member. For about six bucks a month, you'll get access to templates, ebooks, bonus episodes, archive interviews from my last podcast, Crossing the 180, and more. Or subscribe for a year and get two months free. Just go to daredreamer.fm slash join to sign up for the email list or to become a premium member. Now, if you've been paying attention throughout this episode, you may have noticed a pattern in the list of qualities we've been discussing. We first covered the passion of filmmaking. We then discussed the importance of having a sense of purpose. Before the break, we touched on the role that perseverance has in having a long-lasting career. And we'll close out with one last quality perspective. 
And so it is only apropos that we begin this segment with an individual who often cites his name simply as P. There are things that happen in your life that cause you to just kind of become wholly aware of how little time you have. As I'm sure many of you have already guessed, that was the voice of Patrick Moreau, co-founder of the Emmy award-winning studio Still Motion, creative director of Muse Storytelling, and the brainchild and leader of their newest, quite possibly most important endeavor, the Better Human Project. We, we've heard the, the frog in the water metaphor. Put a frog in boiling water, it tries to get out. If you put a frog in normal water and you slowly turn up the temperature, it actually will just sit there and die right um you know in that slow rising temperature and most of us like that's kind of how we go on if we aren't really happy with things or things aren't working we kind of just keep moving forward and often take something to like really shake us and and have a completely different perspective and go wait a minute what am i doing and uh so for me um that was like april 8th last last year um at like 5 a.m when my sister called and, you know, I was in Australia, she's in Canada, and so, you know, I just, I figured she's calling me at 5 a.m. because she doesn't know the time zone is a difference. Um, so I missed the call, texted her back, asked if we, if we had to talk, and, you know, her only reply was like, yes. And it was like that moment, mm-hmm. like, I knew my mom had killed herself. Wow. And, you know, you, you don't really understand that unless you have a parent who, you know, has bipolar or depressive tendencies and all kinds of things like that but like this is something that was ongoing and I know when she calls the middle of the night and we have to talk right away like that's what's going on and like I left the room called her and you know it was like the first like she did it And, and so that meant like I was pulling away from Still Motion. Like Amina is now the managing partner of Still Motion. I'm the managing partner of this other company, you know, another corporation. It's got its own investors. We're in the same building. We work together. We're highly collaborative. But, you know, this team that a couple of years ago was, you know, four of us. Now, you know, we've got Story and Heart and we did a partnership split. And so David and Justin run Story and Heart. And so then we're Still Motion. And now this happens with me. And I'm like, I'm, I'm all in on this. And so she's now, you know, running Still Motion by herself. And, and things are going well. You know, we've got clients. We did a, you know, nearly $400,000 nonprofit job last year. So like dream client with good budgets um, all over the world. You know, really, you know, it really meant something. Is that the Hillary Clinton project you were telling me about? Yeah, the Vital Voices. Yeah, yeah the Vital Voices. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. You know, so like we were doing good work. And, and then she had something happen to her. She had that similar kind of, instead of the temperature rising, she was all of a sudden splashed with the boiling water and went, whoa, what's going on? I recently got some test results from my doctor. That's Amina, now the managing director of Still Motion. He told me, not, not, don't worry, Amina, but you've got to take care of some things. And so, you know, he talked to me about uh, eating well and sleeping and exercises and and most things I'm already doing fairly well. Um, but one of the areas he asked me to focus on was stress and and making sure that I, I'm really taking care of myself emotionally and mentally. She had done everything else. Her diet, exercise, like everything else was like perfect. Yet the only thing that she couldn't do was, you know, the actual stress that was coming from 
for work. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we had this really large client, like a, you know, a very well-known brand. And it's a bid that would have done payroll for two, three months, right? So like as a business owner, you're like, awesome. Those are the <laughs> best just, she's going to give me some room. But at the same time, she's going like, I don't want to do the work. Well, there was kind of a, a pivotal moment a few weeks ago when I was responding to an RFP. It was an RFP that we had received from one of the biggest companies in the world. And just real quick, for those listening, an RFP is a request for a proposal. Yeah. So they they were basically, you know, they had sent us this request to 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 get concepts, to get pricing, to get to know our philosophy just a little bit more so that they could vet us to see if we would be the right fit to help tell their story among other companies that they were probably sending this RFP to also. And I had been working on it for about a day and a half and really you know, trying to perfect it, right? I'm a storyteller. And so, you know, responding to a request for proposal is just another form of storytelling. It's just telling the story of us or telling the story of our storytelling. So I was excited about it. But um, there was a moment in that day and a half that I was working on it that I I had like this, this weird feeling in the pit of my stomach where I kind of realized uh, I don't want them to accept my proposal. And it just stopped me for a second. And I was like, well, why? And I think I just kind of realized I don't really believe in what this company is doing. Wow. And I don't, I don't think that a, whether it was a film that we made for them or it was consulting on their brand storytelling or if it was educating their, their sales team on storytelling, whatever it was that we were going to do for them, I didn't think that it was going to make the world better in any way really. And then, so then I asked myself, well, why on earth am I responding to, to their request then? Why am I spending a day and a half of my life working towards something that I don't even want? Mm. And so it was this really weird catch 22 where like, we really wanted it because it was going to make it easier on her. But then we really didn't want it because like, it's not the work we want to be doing. And in the evenings, she's Skyping with a guy in Thailand who's making pasta out of crickets as one of the only like sustainable sources of protein that isn't meat and you know meat production has got to slow or reverse because of the impact overall ecologically mm. so like something that she's really passionate about but the dude's got five thousand dollars and so she's going like this thing that i'm on fire to do i can't mm. like responsibly and then i'm chasing these other things that i don't even want to do so she she came in and like we talked and we kind of went through it and you know asked her what she really wanted and it was like I want to take on the jobs that like I believe in. I want to be able to do something for a nonprofit for two thousand dollars. I don't want to have to, you know, always chase bigger things. And I definitely don't want to spend my time doing stuff I don't believe in. It was because I had to. That was the honest truth. It was because we have a, a, a team that we care very much about, and we care about their well-being and their growth and and their families. And so, you know, we can't turn down a big client contract for that precise reason because i mean we're in this to do good so at the very least we want to do good for our own team right and then that sparked some questions well can we support people that we care about 
without necessarily taking on projects that we're not passionate about. So, you know, as we looked at how to make that happen, it meant um, it meant having to switch to much more of a freelance model of of not carrying a large team and having that large overhead. Which you know, the, the idea is we'll take you know we'll take certain jobs and then they don't really have a choice. We we do our best to talk to people, but you know, if we get this big client, like you're going to help fulfill it. Versus just the whole free freelance mindset where every single person in line can say yes or no. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, we're taking this on. Do you want this? And so we've, we've, that was the first part of the transition is her – and it was, it was amazing. You know, you, you think if you're going to sit down, you know, six, seven people and, and let them go kind of thing and tell them that story that it's not going to go well. And, I mean, she was emotional. She was completely open and honest. And, you know – she apologized at the end, and every single person in the room was just like, don't be sorry. Like, you've got to do what you believe in. And it was, it was incredible how supportive everybody was. So that was awesome. That's the first phase. Still still want to work with all of the same people, but now it's when a project comes in and it works, and she can go and, you know, focus on cricket pass in Thailand or whatever else she wants to do. We hear this over and over again, right? It's cliche at this point. Life is short. But it actually really is. Like if you think about how fast time has flown by already for, you know, everybody that's listening to this, you know, no matter how old you are, you probably feel like, whoa, where did that all go? <laughs> and I have this new exercise that I, that I do with myself. And every, every so often I ask, I ask myself to look back at my current state right now as though I'm 80 years old and ask myself, am I, am I proud of the life I'm living? Am I giving back enough? Am I fulfilled? Am I generous enough? How are my relationships? What is the status of all the things that are important to me? And that's going to be a, a different set of criteria for everybody, right? But I think those are really important questions to ask and almost like living life retroactively, right? Hindsight is twenty twenty. So what if we put ourselves in the future in, uh, for a little bit and pretend like we're looking back? Just ask ourselves, is what we're doing really, really worth it? And so I think that it's important to ask ourselves, what are our career goals, but also what are our goals in life? Because, you know, there are lots of studies that talk about materialism and talk about, you know, the benefits of spending money on an experience versus an object. And I think collecting gear, sure, it can stretch your imagination as a creative, but it's not going to really make you a better storyteller. It's the thought process behind the gear. And it's the thought process behind your storytelling that's going to make you a better creative. That doesn't really require you to own a thing. That requires you to own the way that you think. And I think that for some people, having the stuff, having the big house, having the flashy car, or just, you know, being being able to say I have grown is that target for them. And I think that's okay. I, I just know that it isn't for me. Certainly personal growth is, but I think that um, feeling fulfilled as a human being for me involves having really strong relationships, having work that I'm intrinsically connected to that I feel is really giving back in a meaningful way that's inspiring people. And knowing that I'm pushing myself, both as a creative, as a professional, but also as just a human being. And that's really kind of all I need in life. I mean, this is turning into kind of an existential conversation, but I just don't see why it, how it couldn't be. I mean, this is, this is life. It's kind of an important thing to think about. Patrick and Mina and the Still Motion crew are dropping this proverbial pot of boiling water 
and it changes their lives in the direction of their careers. And out of that chaos came a new order in life. Patrick reflects on that change in his new purpose with the Better Human Project. You know, when you look at materialism, it has zero correlation to happiness above the poverty line. Yet so many of us spend so much of our time trying to chase down those things that we think we need. And a lot of times it becomes entirely unconscious. Um, so it's about, for me, it's about removing a lot of that and realizing that where we're truly fulfilled and happy um, is when we are learning and growing and contributing to something more than us. And so it's about aligning yourself with what that is in you, you know, because we all have different things that really make us come alive that we love to do. And there is a way that you can uh, really be fulfilled and happy and feel alive uh, and have that mean something to more than just yourself. I would love to see a million people who we are able to touch and affect who just are living with more intentionality, with more possibility in their lives, who feel empowered to be and do all they can do, who, you know, see that they don't have to be confined by these stories that they've told themselves. Because so often, you know, what, what happened when we went through this is people would wake up and kind of go through the exercise and go, I've been spending 31 years of my life telling myself that I'm unworthy or I don't fit or I'm not enough or I'm a failure. You know, these are the stories that you uncover that people have been living into. And so the idea of better human isn't that you're not good enough as you are or that you, you know, any of that kind of stuff. It's that a, a better human is somebody who is just filled with passion and is intentional and is living with purpose and finding that and then creating something and having a group of people who can create that together, who can help you, because that's uh, I, <laughs> because we don't have enough of that. The older you get, the more you realize how unimportant depth of field, audio gain, uh, color grading, you, you realize how, how little importance those things really have on life. That's veteran editor and video producer Chris Fenwick again. As I mentioned earlier, for a year he ran the SCPX Grill podcast, where he interviewed video professionals from all aspects of the industry, from wedding filmmakers to MTV producers all of whom use and swear by Phonicat Pro 10. And for the record, I too am a proud SCPX editor. Anyway, in September of last year, the podcast stopped showing up. I'm sure many thousands of podcast listeners, yours truly included, were bummed and mystified as to what happened. Where did Chris go? Why wasn't he publishing podcasts anymore? Not surprisingly, at the heart of the disappearance was... Love, you heard him? You could not ask for a more noble cause than that. Yeah, Sammy, true love is the greatest thing in the world. Final Cut Grill uh, lost out to my life getting better. So, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, there's a new woman in my life. I'm very happy. And she keeps saying, I like your podcast. You should keep doing it. So, you know, in a lot of ways, it's just a job. Now, when you're 18 or 25 years old, it, it, it is your life. But and I can say this from the other side of the spectrum being, you know, almost 54 years old is that, you know, I went through that period of time where I immersed myself in the technology. But on the other end of it, you realize that life is much more important. And I think that the best filmmakers find the balance early where they take the appropriate time 
to immerse themselves in the technology that they must be masters of. And they take the appropriate time to immerse themselves in their loved ones. And when you get that balance right, it's magical. And for some of us, it takes until, you know, you're over 50 years old to find that. And, uh, but that's my admonition to young people is find that balance early or otherwise you, you wake up one day and you say, wow, I missed out on, you know, decades of life. So my fellow filmmaking friends, may you have the passion necessary to pursue this crazy craft. May you find purpose and direction in your endeavors a true desire to use your art to make this world just a little bit better. May you have the confidence and commitment of your convictions to persevere no matter what obstacles you face, whether they be external or internal. And most importantly, may you keep a proper perspective through it all, remembering what's truly important and always keeping in mind that you only get one chance to get through this thing called life. So make it count. Let's go fly a kite up to the highest height let's go fly a kite and send it soaring up stay tuned after the credits for scenes from upcoming episodes of radio film school the air is clear oh let's go fly a kite Radio Film School is a production of Daredreamer FM. This episode was written and produced by me. Chris Huslidge is our co-producer. But the summer is gone. Radio Film School is a proud member of the Podcastica Network, a small collection of pop culture podcasts that cover topics from your favorite television shows to meditation and health to podcast production. This and other great shows can be found at podcastica.com a cornucopia of podcasting goodness. Music for this episode was curated from freemusicarchive.org. Links to tracks are in the show notes. But the summer is gone. If you like what we're doing here on the podcast, there are two ways you can support the show. First, consider becoming a Teardreamer FM Premium member. For a monthly price of about the same as Subway's daily special, you not only support the show, but you get access to ebooks, templates, bonus episodes, discounts on other products and services, and other resources to help you grow in your crafting career. Go to daredreamer.fm slash join to learn more. Second, please give us a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. But even if you don't use iTunes to listen to the show, it would be a huge boost for us if you'd still open up iTunes and give us a rating and review. In fact, I would love it if you would tell us your first movie memory when you write your review. Or better yet, send us a voice memo or leave a voicemail at the bottom of our website, daredreamer.fm. We just may use your story on the show. If you send us a voicemail, send it to radiofilmschool at daredreamer.fm. You can follow me on Twitter at daredreamerfm, and you can follow the show at radiofilmschool. If you like this episode, share it on Twitter and email it to a friend. Remember, links to all the guests we talked about today are on the blog post for this episode. That's it for this week. Remember, if the story sucks, I don't care what you shot it with or cut it on. Until next time, stay inspired.
I am really excited for what we have in store for Season 2 of the podcast. I plan to spread my wings a little bit more and do some experimentation in style formats. One idea I have in the works are dramatized narrative radio episodes, like the kind you used to hear in the 30s and the 40s. We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. So don't be alarmed if you should hear about an alien invasion of mutated outer space filmmakers from the Harkonian system looking to blow up the Earth in order to make room for an interstellar space opera of galactic proportions. In true This American Life format, we're going to have guest producers on the show recording guest segments. I'm currently working with ex-No Film School contributor Robert Hardy on a very cool segment based on a blog post from his Filmmaker's Process website. And just in time for the release of Marvel Studios' Doctor Strange in November, we're going to reboot our Superheroes in Cinema series as we continue to look at what makes a good superhero film, what we as filmmakers can learn from them, and what we as content creators can learn from the success of Marvel. And I'm going to start the whole debate, but I think Marvel's characters initially are just more relatable. I'll just say that. that not even getting into the filmmakers or the filmmaking or, or anything like that. I think that their characters and the flaws that they've put in them are just a little more relatable than than even the the trinity of DC in terms of Wonder Woman, Batman, and Superman. And of course, we're hip deep in our special miniseries, Breaking the Glass, stories about gender inequality issues in the film and television business. The Breaking the Glass film series recently went live, and episode two has some heartbreaking stories that you absolutely have to hear. And she said, I gave it all up because I loved movies. Mm. And she said, and now I'm with nothing. I think the biggest challenge for me, being a woman in the film industry, has been learning how to communicate so that I could navigate what I wanted out of films. Um, I need to learn how to be more direct. I need to learn how to be more assertive. Um, those were things that nobody ever mentioned was going to be part of the business. The only thing I had been tipped off to was about schmoozing and making connections. But it's a little bit more than that. It's about... It's you can find all the Breaking the Glass podcasts and film episodes at daredreamer.fm slash breaking the glass. So we're in for a grand, grand adventure this season, my friends. I hope you will tag along for the ride and bring along some friends with you, too. So tomorrow afternoonish, look there, okay. and it's a season two premiere, and you're gonna hear me talk about you. Okay, my name's Dasha. Dasha, nice yeah. meeting you, Dasha. And I love being famous. Oh, right. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll probably be like you've heard of 15 minutes of fame. Yeah, I know. it'll probably be like five minutes of fame. Okay. <laughs> I'll give a little plug on the podcast. What's What's the name of your? Oh, we're GNS hey. Heating and Air Conditioning, okay. and right now we have a special going on, 15%. Um, cash back on your um, Costco card um, on the full purchase price before taxes. Okay. And if you're an executive member, you get 17% oh, on, cool. on the Lennox um, heat pumps, air conditioners, and um, furnace signature Elite um, Series. Awesome. So, yeah. All right. Come on in. I'll hook you up. All right. Good. Look for the tall blonde. Look for the tall blonde. That's right. <laughs> bye, bye, Dasha. Bye-bye. You're listening to Dare Dreamer FM, the sound of creative expression. Hmm? Ah! Oh. Podcast to go.